program and uh, the land of Oz down under uh, the land of the Kiwi fruit and New Zealand I believe uh, this evening so welcome uh, those of you who are listening for the first time in New Zealand uh, we're going to begin with an overview of the news as we uh, as we typically do um, and the big news of course is that we are just a matter of days now I believe it'll be Tuesday of next week uh, that we will uh, begin our celebration of uh, Yahweh's fall festivals. It will begin with uh, Teruah, uh, not uh, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, the political and religious Jews have substituted Yahweh's instructions for Teruah for uh, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah means head of the year. It's the Babylonian New Year, uh, where Teruah speaks of conveying a warning uh, that religious and political Jews are um, on the wrong track. In fact, anyone who is political or religious is uh, excluded from a relationship with God, precluded from entering heaven. Uh, and at the same time, we're uh, called on Teruah to share the good news that, that God does have a covenant that he is inviting us to participate in, and seven Moed Mikre that we are invited to attend if we wish to form a relationship with him. Uh, Teruah is uh, is my birthday. Uh, it is uh, the good news is that I'm only uh, I'll be 21 years old. This uh, Teruah, uh, so uh, it makes me a, a youngster. I think I'm looking pretty uh, pretty uh, uh, pretty old for my age, actually. But uh, little, uh, nonetheless, I'm yes a little worn for the 21 years. <laughs> Nonetheless, it was uh, on Teruah <laughs> in 2001 that uh, Yahweh uh, reached out to me immediately after 9-11 at a time I did not even know his name. And uh, although I was an agnostic, I had left uh, Christianity. I had begun to pull away from politics. And, and uh, this is the result of those uh, 21 uh, years together. Uh, 
first item in the news is that um, this is reported by the Times of, uh, of Israel. The uh, Poles, who are the people who don't want to take any responsibility whatsoever for the Holocaust. In fact, they have made it a crime to even suggest that Poles participated in the uh, annihilation of Jews in the Second World War, even though uh, they were second only to the Ukrainians uh, of being murderous when it comes to torturing and killing God's people. Uh, in their plight, however, to acknowledge that atrocities took place, Auschwitz, for example, is in Poland, mm -hmm. as were many of the, uh, the death camps, they are now demanding $1.3 from Germany. And in their long report on why that the Germans owe them $1.2 trillion uh, is uh, a whole list of, uh, of communities where Nazi German atrocities took place, along with the death tolls in those uh, places. Uh, but uh, they omitted all of the places where Poles uh, tortured and killed Jews. Uh, this is a religious community, very uh, Catholic in its orientation, that still doesn't understand that they are responsible for what they have done. Speaking of uh, responsible in the worst sort of ways, there's uh, pictures out of Saudi Arabia where these uh, men wearing their little uh, pink headdresses and their black halos uh, and their white robes are uh, walking around with uh, ropes and whips. And the, uh, they have uh, spread eagle between them, women wearing the typical black tent. And they are whipping them, beating the living tar out of them. And, of course, there's no reason given uh, other than uh, Muslim men enjoy and are sanctioned and beating women. But uh, there is no movement in Saudi Arabia to fling the hijab and to join the world uh, of uh, liberated people, uh, because uh, should you do that in Saudi Arabia, well, they will Khashoggi you. And yet uh, we think it's just swell to send them hundreds of millions of dollars in American arms and to buy hundreds of billions of dollars worth of their oil. Another item in the news, uh, France left-wing uh, parties, the most progressive uh, French political parties, are now uh, acknowledging that uh, in their uh, featured uh, political parties uh, um, during this uh, long campaign that has just uh, finished in France, the Green Bloc uh, has routinely abused women. It is interesting to, to note that the abuse of women in Islam, while exceedingly pervasive, uh, also exists within Christianity, but perhaps worse amongst the liberals who scream out in favor of women's rights. They're the ultimate hypocrites. Uh, what we found in a, in a study uh, some years ago is that the highest rate of, of abuse of women takes place in the most liberal colleges with the second highest uh, rates of attacks on, on women in the Western world uh, taking place in the uh, military. Okay. So we have yeah, total hypocrisy in this regard. 
Speaking, by the way, of total hypocrisy, there's a, a screaming uh, social media maven. Uh, her name is uh, Hadar uh, Muchtar. Uh, she is a, um, a member of the what's called the Long Shot Fiery Youth Party. And she is out there screaming and pointing the finger, saying that housing is not affordable in, uh, in Israel, so that the solution for that, of course, is socialism. Where, where everybody lives in a hovel. Uh, that'll make it just swell. But uh, little uh, little Miss, uh, I scream and point the finger at everybody who has never earned a dime in her life, who has never held a hammer, who has never built anything, never designed anything, never contributed anything other than her shrill voice in social media. It is found out that she lives in a relative mansion in Israel and that it is in her name. Uh, she claims that, oh, well, that's, that's really unimportant because, well, my mommy and daddy gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and you uh, ought not be looking where? at where I live, but instead listening to what I say. Hmm. Welcome to the world of total and complete hypocrites. There is a, a, a numbskull now that is the uh, prime minister of Israel. Uh, an absolute numbskull. He is also a progressive. I think that that there is something that happens that uh, is like mental constipation for those who are at either extreme of politics, uh, whether they be the conspiratorial right, uh, the Trumpites, or they be the progressives on the uh, the left. They just lose the ability to think. So Lapid is going to go to the United Nations and he's going to back the two-state solution. This is a man that, uh, that uh, is incapable of looking at what happened when the U.S. forced Israel to give Gaza autonomy. This is a man who seems incapable of recognizing that if, uh, if you gave the Fakistinians a state, uh, that they would immediately turn into another Gaza and Israel would be sandwiched between two terrorist wedges. Uh, why is that a good thing? Why it would anybody in their right mind think that, uh, that two terrorist states armed to the teeth, firing all manner of rockets and incendiary devices, uh, attacking Israel from both sides, somehow be a solution? Uh, I guess it's a solution if you're interested in the final solution, but that would be about yeah. it. Uh, I mean, let's be clear. There is no such thing as a Palestinian. There is not so, no such place as Palestine. The last Philistine was uh, attacked and, uh, and killed by actually Alexander the Great. They were, most were hauled away into slavery and decimated by the Assyrians, um, I, what about uh, 700 BCE? Um, but those who were not hauled away and uh, decimated by the Assyrians uh, decided that they would uh, fight Alexander the uh, the not so great as uh, Alexander uh, mushed through uh, that region. He had just you know, murdered 100,000 uh, citizens of Tyre and, and enslaved an equal number and then, just for giggles, uh, crucified a couple of thousand uh, because uh, he was well, he was a madman. Uh, 
So on his way to being proclaimed the son of Amun, uh, he um, embattled and fought the uh, uh, what was left of Gaza and essentially wiped it out. There hasn't been, therefore, a single Philistine um, for 2,300 years. So to call oneself a Palestinian is to be clueless as to the history of the place. To speak of a country called Palestine, one has to be completely ignorant of, uh, of history. Yeah, you can even read the Roman accounts of the place, even the Greek accounts of the place, and all historical presentations speak of Judea as, um, as Jewish. Even the Babylonian and Assyrian uh, clay uh, tablets uh, speak of Jews living there and it being the city of the Jews. Cyrus, uh, um, who Yahweh encouraged to treat his people well and to fund the rebuilding of his home and their release, actually writes uh, a lengthy address about uh, Jerusalem and the temple and the Jewish people and what he did uh, for them. And yet we've got the United Nations and progressives claiming that the Temple Mount really is the holy site of, uh, of Muslims and has absolutely nothing to do with Israel. And speaking of that, Hamas is now threatening violence over Jewish visits to the Temple Mount. So uh, you've got Jews walking there peaceably, and if and I, given the opportunity, I would destroy the Dome of the Rock and destroy the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Alaska Mosque. I mean, I wouldn't think twice about it. Um, that would be exactly, given the opportunity, that's what I would do. Uh, and uh, they are shrines to Allah in Yahweh's home. That's, that's very few things as, as revolting. Uh, and yet, the, uh, yet Hamas, uh, to uh, somehow support their satanic religion, is threatening Jews who are walking around on their Temple Mount, which has been desecrated by Muslims. Speaking of other people acting uh, mm. badly, uh, and uh, many of these are now uh, Muslims, uh, you know, India has a caste system. It's, I think, the last major country in the world to have a caste system. If you go back... Uh, through feudal Europe, um, the Holy Roman Empire, uh, Rome itself, uh, Greece, uh, Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, uh, even in the Americas, every civilization of any consequence had a caste system. Uh, India is the last one of them. And there are women that are being born into the lowest caste that uh, – both Hindus and Muslims are finding uh, uh, their jollies by raping and then murdering. And no one seems to want to do a thing about it. I would suspect that the, uh, one of the two big items of the news right now uh, happens to be the protests that are taking place in Iran. And if you look at some of the items of the news, you'd say that these protests have tens of thousands of people and, and it's uh, young people th- – um, saying death uh, to the dictator, death to the ayatollahs, uh, burning their hijabs, and um, as the author uh, who was the first to be killed by the morality police for not wearing her hijab uh, said, let their hair blow in the wind. 
But if you look more closely, the largest marches are men holding up signs of the uh, evil uh, Ayatollahs. And there are even women wearing their full black tent holding up pictures of the Ayatollah. Um, Iran is a deeply divided country. Uh, even the protesters are Muslims. And the, uh, the supporters, of course, are fundamentalist Muslims. There is no other infrastructure in that country. There's no place for them to go. There's no place for them to turn. So even if uh, they were successful in protesting the draconian nature of fundamentalist Islam and uh, garner some freedom, what, what are they going to turn to? Who are they going to turn to? Uh, there, there is, there is no other thing to turn to. There's no uh, non-religious uh, institution. So, I, I just don't hold out any hope for uh, for Iran. Um, uh, it's been too long and too far gone. Um, but it is a uh, it's a sad situation. The thing that makes me the saddest is right after I, I wrote Tea with Terrorist Now about uh, 20 years ago, uh-huh. I put out a press kit, one of the press kits I sent to, uh, to Oprah, uh, because she appeals to women, and, and Islam is the single worst uh, institution on the planet in terms of the treatment of women. Uh, and this would have been right after 9-11. Everybody was talking about... Uh, uh, what the real cause was, and, and I knew it. I had interviewed Al-Qaeda and had written Tea with Terrorists, and so I said, yeah, since you, you know, trumpet uh, women's causes and women's rights, let's have an open discussion about how 1.5 billion people, more than half of whom are women, uh, have no rights. And uh, she says, absolutely no way in the world that would we ever air that kind of a message on our program. And instead, we're going to bring on uh, Princess Noor, which was, I think, at the time, the, uh, the wife of the now-deceased king of Jordan, who was an Islamic apologist, even though she was not herself a Muslim. Uh, it is because of people like Oprah that Muslims continue to, to abuse their women. And if you have the, a, a microphone, you have a platform, you have an audience, and you are advocating lies about Islam as opposed to speaking out and being bold and telling the truth, then you are part of the problem. Uh, Oprah, you are this 22-year-old Iranian woman was tortured and killed. And some 30 Iranians have been uh, killed by their government as a result, you were in a position to make a difference, and you chose not to. And there is a consequence for that sort of thing. The biggest item in the news, of course, still continues to be uh, the Ukraine. Um, and uh, the news there, of course, is that uh, uh, two things. Uh, one is that the Russians are holding a referendum in their uh, territories that they have, in their views, liberated, showing that the vast majority of people want to be part of Russia uh, and allied with Russia than the uh, Ukrainians. The second is that the president of Ukraine, who 
you know, walks around now in his green army shirt. Uh, uh, and uh, no one seems to care about his past. Uh, the truth is that one of the most notoriously evil oligarchs, uh, a man who perpetrated all manner of economic frauds, uh, was the financier of his campaign, which is how he won the election. And then after he won the election, in a true hypocritical fashion, he uh, nationalized and confiscated the man's uh, business. Uh, and, and then in true uh, Ukrainian fashion, uh, he took the benefits, the personal benefits, and he put them in offshore accounts and is now uh, up to his eyeballs in the Panama Papers for having uh, enriched himself and tried to uh, hide the booty. Back at the time that I started talking about the Ukraine and, and um, announcing precisely what America was attempting to do, and that goes back now nine years ago that um, mm-hmm. I began to do uh, shows on the Ukraine, and everything I said nine years ago turned out to be true, uh, that uh, I, by the United States deliberately, purposefully, admittedly overturning the properly elected government, government of the Ukraine, uh, and using neo-Nazis to uh, to do so, and then going to the Ukraine and promising them all manner of weapons uh, so that uh, their war against Russia would be our war. That was back in uh, 2013. The entire purpose was that NATO had no function, and the hawks uh, and also the large government advocates, uh, so it was on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans back in 2013, wanted uh, to switch uh, the Ukraine over to uh, Europe and be part of NATO uh, so that NATO would have uh, funding and a purpose. Uh, and in doing so, we, uh, uh, we initiated a war. Um, and then uh, at the time, the whole debate was over who was going to fund the graft in the Ukraine. Uh, the Ukraine, even though it has vast territory, rich land, great farmland, uh, had uh, large uh, Russian manufacturing and technology plants that were left behind, even though it had this wealth of opportunity, it squandered it, and it needed billions of dollars a year and uh, and loans that it never paid back uh, because of the enormity of the graft. It was a higher percentage of graft in the Ukraine than any other country in Europe. So the debate was over about $3 billion a year. Who was going to supply it? Would it be the Russians or would it be uh, the, uh, the International Monetary Fund and therefore the United States? And I recall now how big that number seemed at the time. And now we're sending 30, 40, 50 billion dollars worth of weapons and uh, monetary support to the Ukraine. We can't build our own infrastructure. We can't fund our own uh, needs, and yet we're sending tens of billions of dollars worth of uh, advanced weapons and other monetary support to the Ukraine. Um, and for what reason? These are horrible people. Uh, they were the most anti-Semitic people in Europe. They um, were worse than the Nazis in terms of the treatment of Jews and were so longer than any other country. 
Um, what is it that would cause the United States to do this other than we wanted to fight a proxy war with Russia? And to what end? To what end? Because yeah. let's just say that uh, we send enough weapons over to the Ukraine that Russia can't use her tanks, she can't use her aircraft, she can't use uh, her troops, uh, and therefore all she can use is artillery and, uh, and missiles. If that's all she can use, uh, then there is no end in sight. And so we've, we've turned it into a killing uh, field. And let's say that, uh, that because of what we have supplied the Ukraine, that Russia cannot um, uh, complete its mission. Do you think that Putin's the kind of guy that's going to say, boy, guys, you got me. I'm going to pull out with my tail between my legs. And, um, boy, that was a, a slick one uh, that you pulled there. I don't think so. He's a dead man. Yeah. You know, if, if he doesn't prevail in the Ukraine, he's a dead man. And guys like that don't walk away. And so whether he uses biological weapons, chemical weapons, technical nuclear weapons, or goes whole hog and says, all right, uh, America, you did this to us. You did this to me. The hell with you. I I don't know which one uh, is going to happen. I can just tell you that that is the end game here. And it has done so many bad things because we're now in a position where uh, Iran has been in uh, at full throttle, uh, completing its nuclear enrichment and its missile program, its drone program, and its nuclear bomb development program. And just as I had said 15 and 20 years ago, there is no peaceful development in research of nuclear uh, devices in Iran. It's strictly a bomb program. Uh, mm-hmm. They now have missiles that will carry all the way to uh, to Europe. Uh that will carry an an atomic warhead. And they have now enormous amounts of uranium uh, that have been enriched to 90% purity. Um, And there's really nothing that that can be done to stop them because everything that they need is being supplied either by China or by Russia. And we put China and Russia not only together in what we have most recently done, but we unified them with Iran. We have set up the characters for the next world war. Russia, Mm -hmm. China, and Iran versus the United States, Europe, and Saudi Arabia. There are no winners. Uh, This is a devastating uh, undertaking that we have engaged in. All right, let's uh, turn back to uh, the, the stories that we were researching. We were we were making the the transition into the book of Hosha. And in the, the book of, uh, of Hosha, uh, Yahweh is very clear uh, that he's going to have a very long intermission, uh, even a, uh, a timeout and a divorce, where he's going to have no communication of any kind with the Israelites. And that he's going to divorce the chosen people. Uh, and this is going to last for a very long time. Hosea was written in the mid-8th uh, century um, uh, BCE, and he would not reconcile his relationship 
into the 20th, 21st century CE. So this is a 2700-year timeout in divorce. Uh, and so God is justifying. He's explaining the reason that he is uh, divorcing his people um, and leaving them so that he'll have no communication with them. And what we find is that he is mostly talking about them being religious whores and religious prostitutes and how disgusted he is about their religious prostitution, so, which is why he's going to ask uh, Hosha to marry a temple prostitute so that Hosha will have empathy. He will understand Yahweh's uh, frustration with his uh, people being religious whores. And the other thing that he does is he consistently compares uh, the, or explains that the worst of, of Jewish behavior uh, manifests itself in uh, the Jezreel Valley. And so there's a series of stories that we need to know about Jezreel to have an appreciation of the good and the bad that took place there. Uh, because Jezreel is the line in the sand that Yahweh is using to justify the long separation from uh, uh, his people. Uh, and before we, we jump into this, because uh, last week we talked uh, at length about um, the chosen people with uh, Yosha. First, we, we, we read from Moshe when he says, okay, you're about ready to go into the promised land. When you go into the promised land, there, the entry here is going to be uh, between these two mountains, which are really the gateway to the Jezreel Valley. On one of the two mountains, you're going to... Uh, to Shout out the blessings that Yahweh has promised. If you uh, observe his Torah on the other mountain, you're going to say, and this will be the curses or consequence if you do not. And we shared how we've even now found a, a lead tablet dating to the period uh, that uh, uh, specifies not only Yahweh's name, but uh, written in the original alphabet of the, uh, of the Torah, dating all the way back to uh, 1400 uh, BCE. So we're about to turn to our second story of uh, what happened in the Jezreel Valley. And the second story is also uplifting, uh, mostly uplifting anyway. And it's a, uh, a story of a, of a woman who becomes the, uh, the heroine. Um, she is, uh, <laughs> she got a mouth on her. Uh, <laughs> this one is, uh, is, is not for the timid. You know, if, if you guys out there, you like your, your women uh, soft and sweet, uh, you're not going to like uh, Deborah. If you like your women uh, strong, aggressive, assertive, uh, uh, with backbone and character and lots of fire, uh, that happens to be my style, you're going to like this woman. Um, yeah, her name is, uh, is Deborah. Uh, she, uh, um, uh, the uh, similar events in her life will play out within the, uh, the Jezreel Valley, which is why we're going to share that story. Um, and she is uh, one of the most courageous characters um, you're going to find anywhere, uh, certainly among the most courageous in God's story. Although, you know, you've got to give um, uh, Sarah a lot of courage for 
laughing at uh, oh, yeah. God. That, uh, that, uh, God, that definitely yeah. took some courage, particularly <laughs> since she got away with it. Uh, and yeah. she is a woman who was uh, uh, predominantly judgmental. She was uh, especially insightful. She was, I think, remarkably intelligent. She was exceptionally well-informed and uh, in, uh, with her oratory. Her name uh, is uh, Deborah. Uh, it is a, uh, a blend of the uh, Hebrew word for bee, uh, meaning she, uh, she had a sting but, but could also be sweet, uh, and Debar, which is the Hebrew word for word. Uh, so she, her words uh, had, uh, could be um, uh, as sweet and as enduring as honey, or they uh, could be as um, uh, as have the sting of the uh, of the bee. So, just as there are uh, three mighty Zeroa and and uh, Yahweh's story, Moshe, Dode, and Yosha, uh, and a little Zeroa sowing uh, and nurturing their seeds, Yada, there are three marvelously important women in Yahweh's unfolding story. Sarah, who is uh, much better than Abraham. And tell the story of Sarah and Abraham. The person who you really want to know is Sarah. Uh, I, she's so wonderful. God actually incorporated, incorporated her name into the name of his people. Yes, she's an individual, Sarah. Uh, El, so individuals who engage and endure with God. Uh, Deborah would be the, uh, the next and Ruth. And if I were to choose the next on the list, it would probably be Leah. Uh, and the, uh, you know, she's the one who genuinely loved uh, Jacob, and she gave us uh, Yahuga. Uh, although those two sisters are provocative as well. In fact, there's really nobody in God's story. <laughs> that isn't a bit provocative. It's a great camp to be in. It is, a, it is an amazing cast of characters. Uh, you know, there's this grittiness to the whole story that is uh, just pretty wonderful. You know, if you're cast in, in any role in God's story, you know that you have no reason to uh, to brag because, you know, he does not pick uh, Robert Redford's out there or uh, or uh, Paul Newman's. They're 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 not the. Uh, the uh, the pretty boys are uh, the uh, Raquel Welches or whoever you might say is your uh, your favorite um, uh, beauty. Uh, no, he he is um, he likes them a little rough around the edges. <laughs> so there is also a uh, uh, in the uh, in the more minor role. There's a little known prophetess uh, who we could slot into that fourth position if we wish to main, maintain uh, symmetry with the boys. Uh, her name is uh, Chulda, and she, like uh, Yada, was instrumental in reintroducing and reaffirming the message of Yahweh and the Torah. Uh, Chulda, which is a name that, if I were to say it, I, I doubt that not even one in a thousand people would know who Chulda is, but she altered the fate of Yisrael. And she did so by openly criticizing the people's deplorable religiosity. She caused a great number to return to Yahweh, as all traces of religion were removed from Yahuda and Yahudem as a direct result of her fiery rhetoric. 
Uh, her remarkable story is told in Malachim, uh, 2 Kings 22, and it's also in Dabadim uh, Ha Yomim, which is Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 34. Now, since we are discussing intriguing women in Yahweh's story, one of the most interesting to my mind is Chawa. Although horribly misguided, sometimes delusional, and clearly vindictive, Chawa is a more complex and interesting character than Adam. I know when I say that, people cringe, you know, because of mm-hmm. she gave horrible names to her sons. She uh, she uh, wanted to be like God. Uh, you know, she's the took the initiative with the uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, you know, people want to cast her as uh, it's just all negative, and there's a lot of there's a lot of negative there. But she's actually a a, 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 a an interesting character. Uh, you know, it's it's like Abraham. Uh, I don't like Abraham. You know, Yahweh loves him, and so that's uh, that's you know his deal. And maybe Abraham was had redeeming qualities that you know I haven't uh, noticed. But um, the very fact that God picked these interesting characters is how we learn. Uh, Abraham did some things that were really nasty, horrible, horrible. Yeah. and and so uh, I mean, even Dode did some really horrible things. Uh, so they're interesting characters. They're real people that uh, were living their uh, their lives with far less to go on than than we have. So it it was a different time with uh, uh, with very real people, and I think we can actually learn more when you have these uh, very robust personalities um, because there's good and bad. And, and what we uh, can see, we learn what God loves and what he uh, doesn't care so much about. So recognizing that we can learn from the mistakes of others, these horribly flawed individuals are equally responsible for the subsequent fate of humanity. Now, a giant among women, uh, was in rare company for her time, even in Israel, where women uh, were uh, were valued in, in, in uh, Israel. Her willingness to stand up, however, when men were silenced and cowered, uh, is a tribute to the power of words and what happens when somebody is willing to take a stand against political, religious, military, and economic oppression as well as to societal apathy. And that's a thought uh, that I wish would resonate with all of us, men and women. There's Mm -hmm. this uh, tendency for women to think, maybe, you know, I'm um, I'm not as strong, I'm not as tall, I'm not as loud uh, as uh, as men, and that uh, my voice comes off too shrill, I'm, I'm going to uh, be turned off. Um, and what this woman proved is the thing that I've I've been talking about now for 20 years. The f- most effective weapon we can wield against injustice, like the abuse of women in Islam, for example. Oprah, if you're listening, are words. Words are powerful tools. And if we learn to wield words wisely, 
then we can affect tremendous change. Uh, Deborah may have been small of stature, but she was mighty in being articulate, and she knew how to wield words wisely. Um, you know, and they and the introductions to all of these books and throughout the site and uh, and about us and and the the like. If you read mm-hmm. uh, even the uh, the first page of every one of the of the published books, one thing you will find is that. Uh, I make uh, three requests of everybody that uh, um, views this material. One is you can't use it to promote any religious, political, or conspiratorial agenda. God is against these things. I am against these things. Do not take anything out of context to support one of those kinds of agendas. And the second is do not use anything that I have written or said or learned to uh, commit an act of violence. Uh, use your words instead. The third thing I've uh, repeatedly said, because there's so many people out there that are that will cite the transliterations that we have derived and the insights that we have uh, uh, learned as, uh, along the way, and they will pretend as, as if they're the ones who, has, who have done this. And... I think to misrepresent uh, someone else's work as your own uh, is an inappropriate thing to do. So Deborah is a um, is somebody that we should pay attention to because she proves the power of words. So as we've discovered, because it is Yahweh's propensity to remind his people, well, there's an understatement, uh, the history uh-huh. of Yisrael has been continually stained by religion, while only occasionally bathed in God's light. For example, Yosha ben Nun, uh, as Moshe's successor, had been brilliant in teaching, leading, and protecting the Israelites, while uh, partially ridding the land of the vermin who were spreading the plague. But when Yosha passed away at age 110, after living one of the most exceptional, exceptional lives in, in human history, uh, we read from Shaphat 2.11, there arose another generation who did not know or acknowledge Yahweh, nor the work he had done for Yisrael. And the children of Yisrael became religious and thus evil. And they served the Balaam lords. You know, you think about this today for religious Mm -hmm. Jews, uh, where the Torah uh, and prophets read Yahweh, they write Hadonai, means my Lord. My Lord. So the children of Israel today. The rabbis and their ilk, the Herodim, are not only religious and thus evil, they are serving the Balaam lords. And they do not ever, under any circumstance, acknowledge Yahweh. For those clowns to pretend that they are representing God when they won't even say his name, and when they replace his name with the title Yahweh despises most, the Lord, 
while turning to their Talmud as opposed to his Torah. It is one of the things that angers God more than anything else. And this is Shaphat Judges uh, 2-1, his affirmation of this. They rejected and abandoned Yahweh, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the realm of political and religious oppression. And they pursued other gods, especially the gods of the people who were around them. They made declarations on their behalf and bowed down before them. And by having done so, they antagonized and provided Yahweh kindling for his righteous indignation. Amazing. What's the crime that the Jews committed against God? Religion. Religion. Yeah. Yeah, they were religious. God hates religion. And today... Being Jewish and Judaism are essentially inseparable. A religious Jew will define his Jewishness to the extent that he is religious. If you want to uh, immigrate into Israel, you don't so much have to demonstrate your ethnicity, but instead demonstrate your religiosity. And so it is worse today particularly among the Haredim, than it was, what, uh, 3,000 years ago. But it's amazing that religious Jews will, uh, will claim to be Torah observant, and yet they're completely ignorant that this is a direct indictment against them. Every bit of that was religious. Again, they mm-hmm. abandoned and rejected, spurning their relationship with Yahweh, and served whom? The Lord, as well as Asheroth. Asheroth was a sex and war goddess who was perceived to be the queen of heaven and the mother of God. They were being religious. Therefore, Yahweh became intensely disappointed exceedingly displeased and fiercely indignant, kindling a burning animosity towards Israel. So he gave them over to the hands of those who pillaged and plundered them, who, who promptly did all manner of horrible things to them. He surrendered their possessions. Uh, he's surrendered possession of them, I should say, by handing them over to the hands of those who were surrounding them, who were averse to them and hostile to them. And as a result, they could no longer prevail against or withstand the presence of their enemies. God didn't cause a uh, a steady stream of 2,000... 500 years, 3,500 years of enemies to attack Israel. He's not responsible for the the Philistines. He's not responsible for the Egyptians. He's not responsible for the Assyrians or the Babylonians. He's not responsible for the Muslims. Persians. The Persians, yeah. Uh, The Greeks. He's not responsible for any of these, particularly the Romans. Although you read Paul's letters, oh boy. God just loves uh, the Romans. 
No, he's not responsible for any of that. What happened was that Jews universally abandoned Yahweh. They won't acknowledge his presence. They have turned to their rabbinical laws and teachings and edicts and view all things rabbinical over anything Yahweh. And in so doing, he's just allowed them to flounder. Um, We had a contractor's last day, it was today, uh, uh, and last week his uh, daughter, who has had a very tough time with drug abuse and, uh, and alcoholism, uh, was uh, attacked by a, uh, a uh, series of parked cars. And uh, when these parked cars ran into her as she was driving down the street, the police assumed that since parked cars very seldom uh, run into people, that she may have been intoxicated and driving under the influences. And so uh, this, this man who had uh, seen his daughter do all sorts of detrimental things uh, recently, uh-huh. uh, she, she self-tattooed her face. Uh, uh, fortunately for her, she wasn't very good at it. They began to fade. But um, he told the, uh, uh, the arresting um, officers and the uh, uh, folks in charge of the jail, I'm not bailing her out. Um, uh, she's not welcome here. She has lied to you that says she needs to get out to care for her dog. Uh, the dog happens to be here. Uh, and uh, uh, I know that uh, you uh, will uh, consider releasing her on bond if she is committed to staying on the island. But could you please send her off of the island? Wow. Yeah, you know, that, that's, you know, that's tough. You finally get to that point with uh, your Pretty daughter. Pretty tough love there. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's been year upon year upon year of making bad choices. This was Israel. They had inebriated themselves and were going through life under the influence of religion. And they had lost control. And they were bumping into all manner of caustic things. And God says, you know, while you're going to do that, uh, I'm going to have to walk away. Um, So you're on your own. And it, uh, it didn't turn out very well for them. You'd think somewhere along the way, a few of them might, uh, yeah, might wake up. Wherever they went, the hand of Yahweh was against their depraved and corrupt religious leaders, consistent with the message Yahweh had conveyed, and just as Yahweh had promised them. And they were oppressed, confined, and horribly distressed. Shaphat 2.15 And so, Yahweh raised up judges. God couldn't deal with them. It's all right, but I can't give up on you either because I've made a lot of promises to you. So God raised up judges, Shaphat, those who would encourage informed and rational decision-making, and they would deliver them, liberating and saving them from the influence and control of those who were pillaging and plundering them. But even then, they did not listen to the Shaphat. Those teaching them to think rationally and to be judgmental because they prostituted themselves, feigning their affection like whores, constantly chasing after other gods, even to the very end. They would speak for them and worship them, bowing down before them while making professions of faith. Without any hesitation, they quickly rejected the way in which their fathers had walked 
who had listened to Yahweh's instructive conditions. They did not act or engage appropriately. That's mind-boggling. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Shaphat, yeah. Judges uh, 2.17. So God yeah. says, you're not listening to me, and really I have no interest in uh, talking to you anymore. Uh, so you know we're going to have a, a long time out. It was going to be a 2,750, almost 2,800 year time out. That, that's a that's a long time out. Uh, you know you'd be told to sit in the cl- in the corner for a, for an hour or two. Uh, well, this was you know the 2,800 years of sitting in the corner. Uh, and God is is saying since I can't deal with you, but ultimately I have promise to reconcile my relationship with you uh, I need at least a remnant of you to survive and for that to occur I'm going to solve this problem the best I can and provide you with judges uh, since you're not thinking rationally I'm going to provide you with rational thinkers basically what this is all about once you become religious or you're overtly political you can throw comp- yeah. Yeah, comprehension to the wind. Your brain turns to ooze. You're just no longer able to think. That's the problem with being a progressive today. You can't think. Your thinking is constipated. Uh, so God said, I, the solution here is I will inspire and send shafat, judges, those who can think judgmentally, who are willing to ex- exercise good judgment. But unfortunately the Israelites wouldn't listen to them either. And rather than listen to them, they uh, they feigned all manner of, of affection. They became whores. They chased after false gods. They served them. They worshipped them. They bowed down before them. They made professions of faith to them, even to the very end, which means they're still doing so. Indeed, whenever Yahweh raised up a Shaphat, decision makers uh, for them, Yahweh was with the Shaphat judges who encouraged good judgment. He saved them, delivering the Shaphat, mm-hmm. those who were judgmental, from the influence and control of those who opposed them. For indeed, Yahweh felt great empathy for them, consoled them, as they were groaning in the presence of those who were aggressively attacking them, pushing them, and shoving them while harassing them. And it came to be that whenever a Shaphat judge passed away, they reverted and became even more irrational, perverted, corrupt, and immoral, to the point of becoming more useless and religious than their fathers going after other gods, striving to serve them, speaking for them, and worshiping them. They would not drop any of their customs or practices and would not forgo their obstinate and troublesome ways as they were unyielding and shameless. If you want to to see the modern incarnation of that, well, look at a picture of any Herodian playing religious dress-up in their black morning clothes, their little curly cues, mm-hmm. their black hats, their women with shaved heads. Go well, look at them. Listen to them. They are the living embodiment of everything God hates. And yet, hypocritically, 
They scream that they're representing the God whose name they won't even acknowledge. Therefore, the resolute animosity, righteous indignation, and tremendous disappointment of Yahweh was kindled, and it burned against Israel. He said, because these people, acting like Goyim, have passed over and transgressed Bereth Annie, my family-oriented covenant relationship, which to show them the correct way to get the most out of life, I provided instructions to their fathers, but they have not listened to my voice. Not then, not now. There is only one covenant. It is Yahweh's, part of Judaism. The covenant is a family-oriented relationship where Yahweh is our Father. It is available to Goyim and Yehudim, any Israelite and everyone else who is willing to accept God's terms and conditions. But the first of those conditions will preclude the individual from being religious or political. The first step towards God is away from the most popular institutions of man. Therefore, it stands to reason, I will no longer dispossess any of the Goyan people of their ethnicities, of other ethnicities and cultures, which Yosha left behind from their presence. I will no longer dispossess them. In other words, they can stay right there mm-hmm. and antagonize uh, Jews. Uh, I'm yeah. nothing more. I, nothing more I can do for them. What a verse! In wow. response to expose the truth about them and reveal whether Israel will come to observe, even to look at and consider being along Yahweh's path, as their fathers did or not. And so Yahweh allowed the Goyim to remain by not immediately removing them. Shaphat 223. The, the one thing, and if you're a, uh, a Jewish man or woman listening to this program tonight, whether you be in New Zealand or Australia or anywhere else in the world, the single most important thing for you to understand, beyond the fact that Yahweh has but one and, one and only one name, and that it is pronounced Yahweh, and that his Torah means teaching and guidance, and it is the antithesis of the Talmud religious laws, is that the thing that God despises most, the thing that will preclude anyone from having a relationship with him under any conditions or circumstances is religion. Well, God does not like any human political scheme and goes out of his way to expose and condemn them. His greatest animosity is reserved for the religious. And when you read... Judges, Shaphat chapter 2, as we have just done. That's the overwhelming message. But it's not just the overwhelming message that God is anti-religious, that he despises Judaism. 
it's not just here in Shaphat. It's the consistent and predominant theme of the book of Hosha. It's the predominant theme of the book of, of Yeshaya Isaiah. It's the overwhelming theme of the book of, uh, of Yermiah. No matter where you turn, Yahweh is condemning religion. If you look at his frustration with his people during the Exodus, it's all about religion. Yeah. All about religion. When you look at where he says, I'm taking you out of Mitzrayim, is, is the realm of political and religious oppression. Mm-hmm. So that's the message, is if you have any interest in coming to know Yahweh, engaging in his covenant family, uh, attending his Moed Mikre, the first thing you need to do is to disassociate from and actually read Judaism and any form of religion. Now, if you're listening to this, you're saying, why are you speaking of Yahweh? Why are you speaking to Yehudim and saying all these terrible things about Judaism? Well, because that's what God does. Our mission here is to convey Yahweh's words to his people in hopes that they will listen and return to him. We're going to tell you what God has to say about you. But keep in mind that God's, well, he is far more interested in and antagonistic towards Judaism than any other religion. It is only because he has invested so much in Jews that for him to have formed his covenant with the Israelites through Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob, for him to have codified his covenant relationship with the Jewish people, with God having rescued them from Mitzrayim, for him having guided them to the promised land, for him promising to protect them from their enemies and to bless their lives, communicating his Torah to them in, in their language, making every sacrifice possible on their benefit for their benefit. He has invested so much in the Jewish prophet. Now, everything he has to say is for the benefit of his people. And so when his people ignore his name, when his people disavow his message and don't listen to his voice about not being religious, this is something he cares passionately about. So while God did condemn Christianity, he condemns it through uh, the Psalms that Dode wrote, he com- combines it or condemns it openly in Chabauk, uh, something that you know we have uh, oh, presented yeah. numerous times. And if you want to see how condemning Yahweh is of Christianity, volumes of questioning Paul. Uh, God despises it. He calls Paul the plague of death, the father of of lies, the son of evil. Uh, Christianity is a horrible religion. Uh, God says things about Islam not nearly as much because, well, quite frankly, if you're dumb enough to be a Muslim, you are not going to ever 
be smart enough to engage in a relationship with Yahweh. That's the dumbest religion in the history of stupid religions. And that's saying a lot when you consider Scientology and Mormonism and some of the others. To, to be the world's dumbest religion, you, you really have to work at it. But the well, 150 is, million members. Yeah, oh, no, well, 1.5 billion. Uh, 1.5 million, 1.5 Yeah, the, uh, the Quran is the dumbest book ever written. It's the worst book ever written. Uh, to if you're dumb enough to think that the Quran was uh, uh, inspired by a God who contradicted himself and who spends all of his time in, in hell uh, and uh, and communicates in in Hebrew, uh, but says that Arabic is his language, if you believe it, then you are way too dumb to think your way to God and to be thoughtful enough to be good company in, in Israel. So he doesn't have a lot to say about uh, Islam other than that confederations of Muslims are going to flood into Israel during the, the last days uh, to, uh, to torment Jews. Uh, of course, that's not going to turn out very well for the, the Muslims because God will intervene on behalf of his people. So the reason we are so vocal against Judaism is because God is. And our Teruah message is to expose and condemn the things that God despises so that his people can avoid those things, stop being they religious, free. and yeah. three of them become uh, are now able to approach him and engage in a relationship with him. Very little time left. Uh, Mamadi's calendar is entirely wrong. It's based upon a bunch of gibberish. Uh, we are now only 11 years away from Yahweh's return. And he's returning with King Dode, the Messiah. Uh, and between now and then, it's going to get progressively darker for Jews. Uh, the last three and a half years, starting in uh, 2030, uh, it's really going to become bleak for Israel. Um, you're finally going to have two messengers, uh, uh, witnesses that uh, will return. One of those two witnesses will be the ever sarcastic Elia. But even then, it's only a tiny remnant of, uh, of Yehudim who are going to listen to Yahweh. And so we are trying to do our best with God's empowerment and inspiration to awaken Yehudim so that when God returns on Yom Kippurim in year 6,000 Yah, October 2nd, 622 p.m. in, uh, in Yisrael uh, in 2033, that there is a robust crowd shouting his name, eager to be part of his family. When we read the Torah and prophets, from Moshe to Yosha, and from Zachariah to Malachi, including Dodes, Mashal and Mizmor, and Yashayah, the great prophet in between, it is always the same story repeated over and over again. The history of the chosen people is one of religious defiance. 
the Israelites turned against Moshe when he initially intervened to protect them. They had been uh, a matter of days, really. It had been just days before they returned to the religious ways, irritating their Savior by replacing him with a golden calf. Worse, they tried to kill Moshe and return to Mitzrayim after hearing the initial reports about the inhabitants in the land. Then there was the meltdown at Meribah. With Yosha leading them, they stumbled right out of the gate, plundering Jericho in defiance of God's instructions. Upon passing, uh, his passing, we read that the foregoing uh, uh, assessment is what we would happen to that caused God to make the statements he just did. The propensity of Jews to irritate Yahweh by being overtly religious is the overriding theme of the prophets. All of them. Yeah. One has to be deliberately blind to miss it, or religious, which has the same effect. Mm-hmm. So as this troubling introduction transcends uh, from the second chapter of the Shaphat Judges into the third, uh, we're introduced to Deborah, uh, a ray of light in a dark world. And, and while I told you that you know we were going to survey the things that happened in the Jezreel Valley because Yahweh draws our attention to it often in the book of Hosha, and then I go to this long story about uh, God railing against his people, for them being uh, religious and deserting him, abandoning him, turning away from him, and the consequence of that. The reason we do that is because context is central to understanding. It's important to know the environment that Deborah entered. She came at a time where God had essentially given up on his people because they were too religious for him to endure. And as a result, he sent them judges who they were ignoring. And it is in that environment that we're introduced to this remarkable woman. We're in that same place today. Doing the same thing over and over again, constantly repeating the same behavior. Beni Yisrael, the offspring of those who strove against and were contentious with God, engaged in and acted upon the gross religious immorality and ignorance of their shepherds, becoming a troublesome, miserable, and undesirable group of loudmouth compatriots. In the eyes and from the perspective of Yahweh, particularly after Eud, the all-about-love passed away. So now we're in Shaphat Judges 4.1. And God says, the children of Israel are a broken record. I don't think they had broken records back in that day, but that's the intent. They were doing the same thing over and over again, constantly repeating the same behavior. You know, Things were not working out. 
for them. And if you continue to repeat the same behavior and expect a different result, you are insane. What is it about Jews being religious that they don't recognize it's because they have been religious that the history of Jews is so bleak? Stop being religious. The outcome is going to be no different for as long as you remain religious. But the only thing I can say in favor of the being religious, you only got 11 more years to be so. <laughs> and then uh, you will you'll meet the Messiah, but they, you aren't yeah. going to fare very well at that meeting. And so as a result, Yahweh surrendered possession of them as a quid pro quo into the hand and influence and control of Yaben. Yah comprehends. Malek. Canaan, king of the subdued in Canaan, who reigned in Chatzor, which means divisiveness. You want to be religious, that's your choice. But you need to understand, if you are religious, God wants nothing to do with you. Nothing. So all of those morons out there that are wearing their mourning suits, prepared for their own funeral, God hates them. Despises them. It's not that God doesn't care about the religious. It's not that God ignores the religious. He despises them. And he's on record saying that if you want to have a relationship with him, the first thing you have to do is walk away from Babel, the confusing, confounding, intermixing of truth and lies that is religion, particularly Judaism. So as a result, Yahweh surrendered possession of his people. It was a quid pro quo. However, the commander of his army, Sisera, which means flight of evil, resided at Cheris Ha Goyim among the scheming Gentiles. The children of Israel cried out to Yahweh, summoning help, because he confined and oppressed them. These children of Israel with 900 iron chariots becoming exceedingly harsh, violent, and vicious for 20 years. God abandoned his people. They ended up as, uh, as slaves being treated horribly by this tyrant. They cried out to God for help. Why would you do that? You know, you chose to reject Yahweh. You chose to be religious. You got yourself in a horrible pickle. Why call out to Yahweh for help? Why not call out to your religious leaders and say, you promised us this, that, and the other thing. Why can't you deliver? But no, they couldn't overcome 900 iron chariots. And there was nothing they could do about it. So they cried out to Yahweh. By the way, they cried out for 20 years. God was uh, not uh, too eager to help Slow them. Slow to move, yeah. Then Deborah, uh, let's call Deborah Word B. A, uh, I guess, you know, what was Muhammad, uh, the, uh, 
uh, fly like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Uh, well, Deborah was the Deborah was the word bee. Uh, she was a woman that could weave her words, man. And they and if you were the victim of her words, they would sting. And no question about it. But I I find her sweet as honey. So Deborah, word bee. Uh, a woman, it says, an Isha. And then it says a Nabiah, which is a female prophet. So mm-hmm. Deborah, word be a woman. I want to emphasize this. She is a woman and a prophetess, a female prophet. She was the wife of uh, Levroth, uh, the torch, who was serving as a Shaphat judge, exercising good judgment for Yisrael at the time. She went out. Uh, she sent out a summons to Barak, which means lightning, the son of Abi Noam, my wonderful father, from Odesh, Naphtali, uh, unlike the twisted. She said to him, Hasn't Yahweh, the God of Israel, instructed you to go and assemble a force upon Mount Tabor? the mountain of a broken and confused world. Now, Tabor is, guess where? Jezreel Valley. Pardon? Jezreel, yeah. Jezreel Valley, yeah. Take 10,000 men with you from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zabulon, the exalted. The question is, can I draw Sisera, flight of evil, the commander of Yaben's, Yah comprehends, army, to you by the Kishon, lure of the river, along with his chariots and the commotion of his vast horde of uproarious troops. Waheth Rechab Hugh, Waheth Hamon Hugh. Can I do this so as to place him? into your hand. She wow. was the strategist. No joke. Yeah. So, Deborah was a Shafat. She was a thinker and decision maker. She understood the situation and she had a plan. She was Brilliant. gathering resources and would orchestrate them to achieve the desired results, which was the liberation of the children of Israel from being horribly abused. So to quote Yogi Berra, the great prophet of the Yankees, it was deja vu all over again. However, since you can observe a lot just by watching, and it ain't over till it's over, even though nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded. <laughs> continue to assess Deborah's value and response. Thanks, thanks for the levity. This has been a tough yeah, one to, so, to listen to. Uh, it's pretty hard not to well think. Well <laughs> Yogi, Yogi Berra. Yep. Uh, uh, it's just to uh, share uh, with you again for those who, no. who like uh, Yogi. Uh, Yogi, the uh, the great prophet of the uh, of the New York Yankees, uh, said it's it's deja vu all over again. However, since you can observe a lot just by watching, and it ain't over till it's over, 
even though nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded. Let's, let's continue to assess. Deborah's response. We are uh, alongside the Kishon River with uh, Deborah because it flows through the Jezreel Valley. It is one of many stories which helps us appreciate the reasons Yahweh referred to this place and his divorce decree. By the way, you know, divorce decree. And the Torah, what does it say if you uh, don't want to be married anymore? What are you supposed to do? You, you write a letter, explain why. Yep, and then you're divorced, right? What did, you what did, Yahweh, what did Yahweh do? <laughs> right. Wrote him a very long letter. The book of Hosea is the Iowa's uh, divorce decree. It's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. That's what I'm, I, I'm yeah. laying it all out for you. This is why I'm divorcing you. And yeah. they, if, yeah, well, I'm going to repeat myself because uh, you, you guys seem to be pretty thick skulls. I recognize you're really slow. I am going to repeat this for you, but it's, uh, it's, uh, you're religious. That's why uh, I think you speak yeah. to high heaven. <clears throat> now, um, a fellow doesn't earn the moniker lightning by being slow. Barack Lightning said to, uh, to her, if you go with me, then I will go. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will absolutely go with you. However, it is certain that the path you are pursuing will not lead to your glorification. This is because into the hands of a woman, Yahweh will transfer possession as a quid pro quo exchange of Sisera's flight of evil. Okay, so Yahweh, uh, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to say this without being offensive, but... Um, <laughs> Yahweh uh, likes men and women to be men and women. And he likes his men, uh, the men that he engages with, to be strong. He wants them to be willing to fight for what's right. He wants them to stand up. He wants them to have courage. He wants them to be bold. This, the meek will inherit the earth. That's not Yahweh. No. Uh, you know, you look at Moshe, <laughs> bold. You look at Noach, bold. You you look at Dode, bolder than bold. Uh, look at Yashaya. Look at Yermaya. Look at Yosha. Uh, look at uh, Koleb. They're all bold, bold, strong, aggressive, courageous. That's what God likes, and uh, and men. And evidently, you look at Sarah, you, uh, you look at Deborah, uh, he likes strong women, too. Yeah. Um, he's not looking for a, a pushover. He's not looking for a, uh, a patsy. Um, yeah. Take a stand. And stand yeah, and so, uh, uh, so to demonstrate that he wants to form a relationship with Israelites that don't have little curly cues, that don't have arms and hands that are as thin as uh, needles, 
because the only thing they've ever lifted in their life is uh, is their Talmud. Uh, uh, no, no calluses, no muscles. He's looking for men who act like men as opposed to men who act like sluts. They, this entire story in Hosha is about calling the men of Israel whores. Mm-hmm. And so God's saying, all right, I'm going to show you something here. Because you guys are so much wussies. You, your men are, have got no backbone, no testosterone. I'm going to take this terrible tyrant with his 900 iron chariots. <laughs> I'm going to show you that a woman can take him down. So that's what God said. Um, you know, Deborah's saying, you know, Barack, I do need you. You're going to lead the uh, the troops in the battle. We're going to do this. Uh, but understand, you are not going to get the glory of having uh, done him in. It is, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a woman. Then Deborah, word be, arose to take a stand to accomplish what needed to be done. And... She went with Barak Lightning to Kadesh, uniquely prepared, dedicated, and separated. Now, as both sides prepared for the battle, Deborah, word be, uh, stinging words, said to Barak Lightning, Rise, stand up, and affirm that indeed this is the day which for the benefit of the relationship, Yahweh will give Sisera, the flight of evil, into your hands. Will not Yahweh go out before you? So Barak went, the break in confused, along with the 10,000 men who were following behind him. And all the while, Yahweh confused and confounded Sisera, causing him to panic and to move in disarray, along with all of his chariots and his entire encampment before Barak, so as to approach the mouth of the sword. And so Sisera got down from his chariot, and he fled on foot. Now, when you stand accused of abusing God's people, turning God in, you essentially turn God into your judge, and you may run, but you can't hide. Uh, and long term, those who think they got away with murder, uh, there's going to be recompense. And uh, as it turns out, there's a 40 and 5 day period uh, at the um, right after the celebration of, of uh, Sukkah. You know, where I was returning on Yom Kippurim, he's going to celebrate Sukkah with his uh, people. And then he is going to assign the trials of the five worst humans in, uh, in history, uh, followed by the uh, lesser religious and political tyrants over five and 40 days. Um, so even those who thought they got away with it, it's not going to turn out to be so. So in this case, the man of war and all of his weapons would be no match for a couple of moral women. With uh, Deborah having scared the bejesus out of Sisera, 
uh, Yael would uh, astutely offer the panicked psychopath a warm glass of milk and a comfy blanket to calm his nerves, knowing that he would fall asleep. Yael, who is, uh, means a wild goat, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the wife of Chaber, charming company, grasped hold of a tent peg and placed a hammer in her hand. Moving quietly, she snuck up on him, and then she drove the peg into his temple until it entered the ground. All the while, he was lying there deep asleep, having been exhausted. And so, he died. So much for the 900 chariots of iron, huh? (laughs) So, you would think that the children of Israel, boy, that God really bailed us out. He used a couple of women to to do this. Let's man up and stop being religious and things will go good. But no, no. So run ragged by the women and confused by God, this cruel man who thought it appropriate to torment Jews was pegged the end, so to speak. But, nice touch. But, but why, we may ask, was it so important that he die at the hands of a woman? It wasn't to teach Cicero a lesson. Sound asleep. Deborah known what happened to him. However, Deborah's prophecy and its fulfillment through Yael was for Yisrael to hear. When we allow God to use us, ordinary implements, such as a hammer and tent peg, are more capable than a mighty nation. Its military might and its weapons. And with Deborah, we see the result of exercising good judgment, of listening to Yahweh, of projecting confidence, and of wielding words wisely. Projecting confidence, confidence, of wielding words wisely, of executing good judgment, of listening to Yahweh. These are God's most powerful tools, more piercing than bullets, more shattering than bombs. They are rendered most effective when inspired by the feminine presence of the Ruach Kodesh, set-apart spirit. And now 25 volumes over what has, um, or will soon be, 22 years, each filled with Yahweh's words and thoughts, his Dabatim, inspire. Dabatim means words. We have engaged in the battle for Yisrael's soul. Fired by the Spirit, we have been like Deborah, with some words stingy and others sweet. Celebrating as we should this victory of words and of ordinary implements over mighty armies, along with the realization that this psychopath would no longer abuse anyone. Here are some lines from um, Deborah's song. And this is something that also ought to resonate with us. Um, you know, Kirk, I, I, I'm sure I come across because mm-hmm. I'm very confident in what Yahweh has said, and I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm 
committed to conveying yeah. that confidence boldly, bluntly to his people, that there is a, a sense of uh, pride that comes from knowing Yahweh being in the center of Yahweh's will for his people. Yeah. And if that comes across, that's just fine. Because yeah. Deborah clearly uh, knew that what she did was special. She knew that she had every right to be proud of it. She wanted yeah. Israelites to look at her and, and witness her enthusiasm, witness her courage, witness her pride in having done something special with Yahweh's support and inspiration for his people. Yes. We can be proud of what we are doing when what we are doing is what Yahweh wants done. Uh-huh. And so this is, again, like we listen to Dode. Dode was proud of what he did for, his, for God's people. We should be proud. If you're not proud of what you're doing, then maybe you're not doing what you should be doing. So you're going to hear, in this woman's voice, pride. But it's pride because she was doing the right thing for the right reason. The villagers and soldiers, the entire population of Israel, refused to do anything because they had given up. They did nothing, willing, unwilling to even serve as witnesses until I, Deborah, rose up and took a stand, and I became confrontational. So I stood up as an affirming and restorative influence as the mother of Yisrael. You're here. Isn't that something? She's saying, yeah. the rest of you, the villagers, the soldiers, the entire population of Israel refused to do a damn thing. You'd all given up. Nothing unwilling to serve as a witness until I, Deborah, rose up and took a stand. So I stood up as an affirming and restorative influence as the mother of Israel. Once previously unknown and referring gods were chosen and considered Becoming preferred than being besieged by adversaries in war was at the offing and at the door. Would there be seen a defensive shield or an attacking spear with even 40,000 with Israel among those who engage and endure with God? My heart goes out to the Israelites who are cut into the relationship and who are willing uh, to offer themselves among the people to commend Yahweh. Be especially alert, Deborah. Be alert and rise up and speak out, conveying the word in song. Rise up and take a stand, Barak, lightning, and capture the captives of Abinoam. But alas, with the lyrics of Deborah's song still sweet in the air, we read, The children of Israel 
engaged in and acted upon, that which was evil, immoral, counterproductive and wrong, contemptible and depraved, objectionable and disagreeable in the sight of Yahweh. So Yahweh gave them over to the influence and control of others for seven years. The victory that Deborah had inspired within the Jezreel Valley should have lasted longer than it would take to sing her song. But these were exceedingly religious people. They had no interest in Yahweh. They had no interest in evidence or in reason. They would rather die as slaves, estranged from God, than listen to anything he had to say. There was no benefit in talking to them. Yahweh tried, as had Moshe. This is the thing about religion. Even God's words don't resonate with them. They will elevate their own to scriptural status. And when the words of Yahweh conflict with the words of their scripture, they whether they Turn on rabbis yeah. with the Talmud or Christians with the New Testament or Muslims with the Quran, they will all turn to and prefer the words of men to the word of God. There was no benefit in talking to them. Indeed, Yahweh had tried. Moshe had tried. Yosha had tried. Kaleb had tried. And now Deborah. There was no way to garner their attention for neither triumph nor tragedy had prevailed. From that day to this one, Jews would rather be religious than engage in a relationship with God. And that is why they left the Almighty with only one viable option. Divorce. Wow. So that's a good place or a bad place. Actually, a very, very good place. No, it's a good place. It's a good yeah, place. for us to leave this, uh, yeah, tonight. Um, we uh, will return with um, what I think is one of the most deplorable stories of, uh, of Israel acting religiously and badly. Uh, it is the story of, of King Ahab and his wife, uh, Jezebel, and what they did in the Jezreel Valley. Uh, it is also the story of one of my very favorite characters, the man I look forward to meeting uh, and sharing a peace talk meal with uh, in, uh, in 2030, um, mm-hmm. Elia, uh, and what Elia will be uh, uh, saying. So it's an amazing story. Uh, uh, what we're about to read that took place in the Jezreel Valley. And again, this is all foundational. When, when we read where God says that it is because of the Jezreel Valley that I'm divorcing you, it's incumbent upon us to understand what happened in the Jezreel Valley. And what we find is religion, 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 and religion. And more. Happened in the yeah. Jezreel Valley, and then more religion. And God said every which way he can, so long as you're religious, I have nothing to do with you. So, folks, if you want to have a relationship with God, stop being religious. If you want to enter Shamaim, 
Stop being religious. You want to be part of the covenant? Disavow religion. Religion has done nothing but harm the chosen people for many thousands of years. All right, well, we've reached the end of our program. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, helping me out with this. We had uh, one of our very, very favorite people uh, on the uh, the line ready to uh, jump in if the, uh, if the connection failed, but um, uh, our technology uh, guru, uh, I should probably say guru, that's a religious term, isn't it? Our technology wizard, oh, that's another religious term. See, we just have ruined the language, haven't we? Our technology guy came by this evening and uh, and got us switched over to a, a, a more reliable source. It's kind of interesting. We do now have three different sources of Internet trying to make sure we're, we're up and running for this uh, program and to continue to um, develop uh, a, uh, the site, uh, write these books. And, uh, and we, uh, we uh, actually implemented uh, Starlink, uh, which is the SpaceX uh, Elon Musk's uh, solution. And it pings out, I mean, extraordinarily well. Um, but there's somehow a gaps in the upload capability and it just uh, didn't work three weeks in a row. We're now on a thing called air fiber and it appears to be working beautifully. So uh, let's, uh, let's hope that right. uh, yeah, we're resolved going forward. Um, the one yeah. thing I did not talk about uh, tonight and um, uh, shoot me uh, uh, you know, for 50 lashings if I don't begin next week's show with it. Uh, there have been massive improvements to the Yada Yada site. Uh, the um, translation index is now uh, present on the site, and it works beautifully. I'm using it every day. Um, we have new additions to the community, um, and one of those additions is uh, um, inspired by my uh, my wife, and then implemented by uh, uh, Molly and by uh, uh, Jackie and Dee and, uh, and others uh, is the menorah as a representative and introduction to the micrae. Uh And it is an interactive uh, display and it is uh, absolutely marvelous. Uh, we have um, a completely new look too and feel on the yada yada radio site, Torah, uh, being ghosted into the books at the top of the page. Um, the archives now are far more accessible uh, here and, and other places. They're also uh, presented on a myth, uh, um, Shamara myth, I think is the name of the site, um, which is another site that we're, we're linking to. Um, so there's been a lot of, of progress, a lot of updates. The, the book that we are sharing from which is volume eight of Yada Yada. Uh, Azov Separation is now posted on the site in its entirety. Uh, so you can read it there. It's also available now at Amazon. My first paperbacks arrived uh, two or three days ago. And uh, it's a haunting cover with the picture of <laughs> Titus's uh, arch is <laughs> the gateway to the Colosseum in mm -hmm. Rome. And Azov yes. uh, means separation. So there is a uh, um, a lot there, uh, and 
David and, and Jackie have worked tirelessly at, um, at developing this site and making it so wonderfully user-friendly and so graphically inviting, and, uh, so robust with all of its uh, information and features. And I think there's now 25 volumes uh, on the site, all of which are free in their entirety, uh, as well as the link to Amazon where you can purchase it. Uh, it's just the cost of print and, and shipment cost. Uh, the books both in softback and hardback as well as uh, for pennies uh, in the Kindle versions. So we're doing our utmost to make the truth available. There's also uh, a lot of work that's going on and something that will be added to the site before very long, but um, he is working on a timeline uh, that uh, reinforces so much of what we have learned and explains so much of what we have learned and becomes an exceedingly valuable tool in, in trying to understanding the timing of uh, Yahweh's uh, outreach to his people and uh, the timing of his return. Um, one last uh, note is that um, I am in the midst of Volume 9, uh, the rewrite of, uh, of uh, what was the last day's chapter, or volume of yada yada. Uh, and in it, um, I have finished my translation of Chapter 7, about halfway through uh, a, a translation of Daniel uh, 8, uh, and I have finished a translation of Daniel 12, and will uh, um, also write a translation of, uh, of 9, 10, and 11. So we'll have the, uh, the fullness of, of Daniel as something to have an appreciation of what's going to happen as we go forward. Uh, and and I will tell you, it is, uh, it is quite eye-opening uh, what's going to happen. And, and I think we've done a, a pretty decent job now of explaining the timeline that uh, Daniel presents in his, uh, uh, in his narrative, particularly as we move into the 12th chapter. Uh, so uh, that will be a study that uh, once we finish Azab here, separation, we'll move into uh, to Daniel and to, uh, to cover it as it unlocks uh, our past so that we might appreciate what's going to happen in our very new near future. Um, there's quite a presentation on the Torahless One and where he's going to come from and what he is going to be like uh, that's also in that, uh, in that volume. And uh, by sharing it, by developing it, uh, we forewarn God's people, we prepare them or what's going to occur so that there are no surprises and no excuses. So with that said, uh, I want to thank everybody as part of Yahweh's covenant family for making all of this possible and for the resulting site and for uh, this uh, program. And I, I wish all of you a wonderful celebration of Teruah, Teruah. Of, uh, of this Happy time. Teruah. Yeah, shout out the good news and to uh, warn God's people that uh, return is imminent. Good night. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Good night. Hi, Dick. Bye.